Hi everyone, wasn't that just such an incredible time of worship? Yeah. Just felt the throne room of heaven come down and we're so glad that you could join us today. Happy Easter everyone. We love you guys, we miss you so much. I just wanna take a minute and just say some thank yous. First of all, thank you to Jesus for all he's done for us, for dying for our sins, for the incredible gift it is that God raised him from the dead, that he's alive and that we can know him as his sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus. I also just wanna thank all of you who've been working really hard in the hospitals. And we are so appreciative of you and um, all that you've been doing in serving the people of Launceston and uh, Tasmania and Australia and wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much. I also wanna th um, thank those of you who are teaching our children. Um, you've done it with just joy and with enthusiasm and we know you're working hard, so we're praying for you. And we pray God's richest blessings on you. And I wanna say thank you to those people in, even in our church who are helping set um, policies that affect our city and our nation. You're incredible. We're praying wisdom from above every step of the way. Thanks so much. And please church, remember to pray for our prime minister and for those who are governing um, our state and our nation and the nations of the world. There's a lot of decisions that are having to be made and they need our prayers. Uh, for those of you who are running small businesses, um, we thank you for all the work you're doing and trying to change from one mode of operating to another. And we're praying God's blessing on your business during this time. So thank you for that. We're praying God's provision for you as well and trusting that he's gonna turn everything that you're sowing into, into great fruitfulness and good. Um, for those of you who may have lost jobs, we're praying that you get a job quickly. And we have some testimonies about that, that there are those in our church who have gotten jobs right away. Also, I just wanna thank each and every one of you for being so incredibly generous during this time. We've personally received quite a number of phone calls and just words of encouragement. So from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for that. But I know you've also been doing a lot for people in the church. You've been providing meals, um, you've been giving financially, and I wanna thank you for that because it's enabled us as a church to be able to bless just a number of families in the church. And we wanna to continue to be able to do that. So thank you for your continued giving. And if you wanna give, um, we do it online. Yeah, go to our website. There's a link. <laughs> and thank you, you guys, for who are doing the technology to make this happen. We just are so appreciative. And the fact that we can have church, even though we're not together, we are together in heart and in spirit. And we appreciate you so much. Um, let's just pray together. And then Russ will come and share the word. Lord Jesus Christ, we adore you. We love you. We once again invite your presence into our homes and into our hearts. We pray, God, um, that you would bless each home with your peace. We pray that you would teach us in this hour how to press into you, that you would help us turn off distractions, not listen to TV all the time or be tuning into what's on Facebook all the time, but uh, we would really turn our hearts towards you and press in to know you in a deep and intimate way this year. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill each and every one of us with the power of your Holy Spirit, that we can shine for you um, during this time, but actually as time progresses, that your church would arise in boldness and in fresh strength and in fresh anointing to share your word and to share your love and 
to pray for the sick and see them healed, and to pray for those who are under a cloud of oppression, that those things can be lifted off in the mighty name of Jesus. We'd like to see you glorified in your name, lifted high in our nation and in all the nations of the world. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the preaching of the word today, in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. What a wonderful worship time. Thanks for the guys who uh, did such a great job and my lovely wife who is definitely the, uh, the better part of our marriage. Preach it, come on. <laughs> Happy Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is alive. That's good news. I want to share good news with you this morning. In the midst of a lot of news that isn't so great, we need some good news. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll start with verse 1 and then we're going to read some others and come back and read some more in 1 Corinthians. But it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. That word literally means good news. I declare to you the good news which I preach to you, which you have received and in which you stand. This is not good news that you hear on the TV and it goes in one ear and out the other. This is good news that you receive and then stand. And so uh, we're going to take a look at that. But turn with me to Acts chapter 2. The early church in virtually every sermon, everything they did, you're going to see they included something. Acts chapter 2. We're starting in verse 24, it says, talking, uh, sorry, verse 23, talking about Jesus, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, have put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And over in 31, says, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul should not be left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Chapter 3, verse 15. And killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses, in case you didn't get it before. Chapter 4, verse 2, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Verse 10, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands before you whole. Same chapter, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Chapter 5, verse 30. says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered, by hanging on a tree. 
And the last scripture here, chapter 10, from verse 38 to 43. I hope you're getting the message here. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which, which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him should receive remission of sin. Back over to uh, 1 Corinthians. From verse one, we just read this good news. Verse three, for I delivered to you first that which I also received, that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scripture. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. They were seen by Cephas and by the twelve. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of time. For I'm the least of the apostles who am not willing to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do you say among, among you, how do some say among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. The gospel, the good news, was that Jesus died and paid the penalty for our sin. Sin is actually rebellion, it's transgression. The word means there's sins, things that we do, but there's a heart issue that those things show, which is actually just our rebellion. We decide we're gonna do things our own way. I'm gonna live for myself. The uh, temptation of Eve in the garden was, you'll be like God, deciding for yourself. Good and evil. And that's the, the basis of sin. Jesus died, paid the penalty, because our sin had separated us from God. He was the sacrifice that was paid for us. Not only did he, was he sacrificed for our sin, not only did he pay the penalty, but he removed our sin from us. That's great news. Yeah. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on that not only did, did he die for our sin, but he rose from the dead. Now, if the only thing he was doing was paying a penalty for our sin, he didn't need to rise. If you go back to the Old Testament, you see over and over they had a lamb that represented Jesus' coming, and that lamb was sacrificed for the sin. The, the lamb, did, lamb didn't come back to life, but Jesus did. Every declaration of the gospel included the fact that not only did Jesus die for sin, but he rose again. Good. 
That's the good news. Jesus is alive. <laughs> That's the good news. Why is it good news? Three reasons I want to tell you. I'm going to try and keep it short, but the, the first reason it's good news is because everything he did while he was on the earth, he is still doing. We see in Matthew 9.35 that Jesus healed all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Jesus is still healing. I've seen dozens of people healed from cancer, from one lady had a golf ball sized calcium growth in her shoulder that had x-rays and God just totally healed her and that was totally gone. Yeah. Doctors had no explanation. Not everyone who gets prayed for is healed, but he's still healing. Mm -hmm. That's good news. But he's also still calming storms. Matthew 8, 26, he calmed the storm. Now, if it were only about what Jesus did when he was on earth 2,000 years ago, that means nothing to me. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, I have a good story. Kind of like some myth that, you know, the Hansel and Gretel stuff. Uh, Grimm's fairy tales or something. But the fact that Jesus is alive means that he can still calm storms. He can still take care of the issues that face our life. John 14, 26, he says he gives peace. He's still giving peace. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. Everything he did, he's still doing. I don't just believe in something that happened. I get to believe in a guy who's alive. But more than that, he's established a new kingdom a new order, by, by rising from the dead, he's now the king of a kingdom that continues. A new authority. See, the Bible says that the world lies under the influence or the control of the devil. In fact, twice Jesus said that Satan was the ruler of this world. So the world lies under that influence and the destruction that came from rebellion and sin. Let me tell you, this whole coronavirus thing is not God's work. He doesn't make people sick. That's the work of the devil. But Jesus has established a new order with new values. And when we come to him, we're transferred from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of light and love. 1 Corinthians, I mean, sorry, Colossians 1.13 talks about that. He's the king of a new order, a new kingdom. Let me tell you, there's no actual kingdom without a king. The fact that he's alive. Now that, it's hard for us to understand, but that order that was established, that kingdom, has actually permeated much of the earth. It's had an impact far beyond what most people comprehend. Okay, if you could compare the world in the time of Christ, the, the Greek Roman world with the world today, you would see a radical change. There was absolutely no concern for people who were poor. There was no legal help for people who weren't citizens of Rome. In fact, they were considered slaves. 
you could kill slaves and there was nothing they could do about it. They were considered just as if they were cattle. You could do anything if you were a citizen and unless it was to another citizen, and that's why when you see at one point Paul's taken and put thrown in jail and he says he's a citizen and, and all of a sudden the, the uh, centurions get afraid, oh no, we've, we've actually touched a citizen of Rome. The law applies to these guys. Well, the law didn't apply to anyone else. Nobody cared about the poor. Nobody, they didn't get any education. The, there was a whole belief that the, the body was, wasn't uh, helpful. It was actually an enemy, so there was no real health care. There was nothing. Now, if you look at that today, all the things that we see that we just take as values in our culture are actually a result of Jesus' kingdom being established on the earth. It's actually permeated much of the earth. And those things, so much so that one, one uh, professor said that if you took an atheist from today and you could transfer him to the first century, he would can be considered by everyone there to be a Christian. Not because of his relationship with God, but because of his value for human dignity, human right, rights, the value, uh, concern for the poor, the, the dignity of life, all those things were totally non-existent in the Greek and Roman world before Jesus' kingdom was established. In fact, uh, Professor Rick Watts, I shared this in our class, shared about teaching at the Academy of Science in Beijing with some of the top scientists and educators in China and compared the values of the Ming Dynasty, which they all agreed, and the values of the Christian world, and then asked them, which is China today more like? And they were flabbergasted and their jaws dropped and they said, we're more Christian wow. than we are Chinese. The kingdom had permeated. So much so that even an atheist put into the first century world would be looked at as a Christian. But there's more. <laughs> Not only uh, is Jesus still doing what he did? Not only is his kingdom virtually changing the very fabric of society, but the greatest thing is that we can have relationship with him. The fact that he rose from the dead means we can actually know him today. He's alive today. John 17, three says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and the son whom you've sent. We can know him, not just see him from afar. We're not believing in someone who lived 2,000 years ago. We can actually have a relationship. And I want you to understand, that's what transforms us. We're becoming like him. Not because we try and change, not because if I just had enough discipline. No, but because as we hang with him, we become like him as we spend time with him. The fact that he's risen from the dead, the fact that he's alive today and transforms us is why Christians can love other people, even the unlovely. It's why Christians can help others. Why Christians can even lay down their lives for others. Not because we have better beliefs. Yeah. Not because we're more committed but simply because he's with us. 
He is alive. And we're witnesses that he is alive. They talked about being witnesses to the resurrection. I'm not a witness to the resurrection. I wasn't there when he rose from the dead. But I'm a witness that he's alive. See, I've seen healings. I've seen lives changed. I've seen people have peace. And all those are wonderful things. But more than that, I've actually met Jesus. See, I grew up in a church. Learned a lot of really good Christian values, the very things we talked about, the kingdom that impacted the world. I learned a lot of those things. I met some really good people. That was wonderful. But one day, I met Jesus. I heard someone preach that there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And I realized I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know him. And I decided I wanted to know him. And that's when my life changed. That's when, shortly after that, he called me to serve him in ministry. Why could I do that? Not because I was more committed, not because I had better beliefs, but because I'd actually met him. Now, let me say this. I have a delight of being one of the pastors of Redemption Hills Church. That's a wonderful calling, but it's not my first calling. My first calling is to serve him and to be a witness that he's alive. A friend of mine, some of you know Steve, leads a mission organization that has a huge impact. That's fantastic. It's a wonderful calling, but that's not his first calling. His first calling is to serve Jesus and to be a witness that he's alive have some friends who work in a food distribution warehouse. Right now, that, that's important. <laughs> and that's a great calling, but that's not their first calling. As followers of Jesus, their first calling is to serve Him. Some of you even are work in the healthcare industry, doctors and nurses, and that's a wonderful calling. But I want to tell you, that's not your first calling. Yeah. Your first calling is to serve Jesus and to be a witness that he's alive. See, that's the good news of Easter, is that Jesus is alive today. It's not belief in something that happened 2,000 years ago that doesn't affect me. It's not some seasonal change if you live in the Northern Hemisphere from winter to spring and the promise of life and growth and harvest and all those type of things. That's not what this is about. It's not the promise of second chances or the promise that you could be better. The good news is simply Jesus is alive and he's doing what he did and his kingdom is established and you can know him. That's the good news. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Let's not let it become something else. There's so much flowery language. And we talk about Easter bunnies and fertility and <laughs> springtime in the Northern Hemisphere. That doesn't work in the Southern Hemisphere because it's not springtime. It's autumn. We're going from life to, <laughs> to death. So that's why we focus on the 
the uh, death of Jesus more than, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it works better in the uh, Southern Hemisphere. It's not all this other stuff. It's simply, Jesus is alive. How do you know him? How do you meet him? I'm glad you asked. Paul, who wrote a lot of this stuff, tells us very clearly in Romans. Sorry, I can find it. Romans. It was here in my Bible this morning. Romans chapter uh, 10. I want to make it very clear and very simple for you. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Very simple. Two things. Confessing that Jesus is Lord. That word confess literally means it's a declaration made out loud. It's uh, something that virtually means that we take sides. It was actually used in the uh, Greek original in people would, would make a declaration in front of a group of people that I stand for this. And so a declaration that Jesus is Lord is it, actually means that we're taking sides. And that's not a declaration that he's Lord of something. Jesus is Lord of Pluto. I don't live there, I don't care. Or he's the Lord of Compton. No, it's actually a declaration that he's the Lord of me. That declaration, when I declare that Jesus is Lord, I'm saying I'm no longer going to pursue my own agenda. I'm actually going to acknowledge him means I acknowledge my rebellion, my sin, that I've been doing my own thing away from him. And so there's a confession that takes place. Interesting enough, the term Lord occurs 370 times in the New Testament. Savior occurs 26 times. They occur together 19 times. And every time they occur together, it's always Lord and Savior. It's never Savior and Lord. I was raised in a church that kind of had this idea that you can accept Jesus as your Savior. You can kind of get a little bit of Jesus, and then later on in life, you can make him your Lord. Meaning that I can get fire insurance, so I don't go to hell, but I don't actually have to walk in obedience. And the reality is that his Lordship is our salvation. It's turning from our own rebellion to his lordship. And then secondly, believe he rose from the dead. That's key. The gospel is still that Jesus is alive. He's still the king of his kingdom. And I can know him. By declaring that I believe that Jesus is alive, I'm actually declaring I can actually have a relationship with him. Confess he's Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. That's what it takes to meet him. Very simple, 
but it's life-changing and transforming. If you haven't done that, I'd like to just lead you in a prayer. If you just bow your head, pray with me. Jesus, I acknowledge I've lived for myself and I haven't followed you in your ways. But today I surrender to you, to your rule in my life. I declare you are Lord. I believe you are alive and I want to know you, not just know about you. Today, I choose to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Amen. Very simple. But if you've never prayed that before, you've actually come into relationship with Jesus. If you have, if you've prayed that for the first time today, we have a little booklet that we have called The Follower of Jesus. It just tells you the next steps. Very simple thing. If you just contact us via our website, we'll get that to you. It's free. But maybe you're listening today and you're not sure that you believe. Let me tell you a story of a friend of mine. My friend was born in Palestine. His dad was Palestinian, his mom was American. He was born in Palestine. He was raised in that environment and had a anger and a hatred and decided he wanted to be a terrorist. Now he wasn't a religious terrorist. He wanted to be a political terrorist. He actually considered himself an atheist. But because his mom was American, he came to the United States to go to university to study electrical engineering so he could make bombs. And that was his, des his desire. Yet while there, he met a Christian and he was talking of, they were talking about God and he said, I'm an atheist. And this Christian said, have you ever asked God if he exists? To show himself to you. The guy went, that's just ridiculous. I don't believe in God. I said, yeah, but you don't believe in God. But why don't you believe in God? Let me challenge you. Just simply ask him, God, if you exist, would you show yourself to me? And my friend, the political terrorist, atheist, went home that night and decided, okay, I'm going to do that just so I can ridicule this guy tomorrow. And in his dorm room at university, he just said, God, I don't believe you exist, but if you do, will you show yourself to me? He said, something happened. God came to his room. He said, within a matter of minutes, he went from an atheist to I know that God exists. He said, I can't tell you how. I just knew. He said, it took him about six weeks to come to an understanding of Jesus and to come into relationship with him. And his life was changed and transformed. The hatred was gone, the anger was gone. He's actually now a pastor. Totally transformed because he met Jesus. If you don't, not sure you believe, let me challenge you, just ask God to show himself to you. Don't dictate how he can do that. Because you're not God. Too often we say, okay God, if you're God, 
show yourself to me by wiping out the coronavirus from all over the world in one day. And we want to dictate, it's okay, if you're God, I'm not. <laughs> so if you're God, show yourself to me so that I will understand. I want to challenge you, he will. For all the rest of us, we're witnesses that Jesus is alive. That's what our experiences in him point to. If you've been healed, if your life's been transformed, if you felt the presence of God, all these point to the same testimony. Jesus is alive. That's the testimony of the church from the time of Jesus' resurrection, 2,000 years later to today. Jesus is alive. And you can know him. And your life can be changed and transformed. He still says, come to me. Follow me. It's not come to church. Our church is friendlier. We have better preaching. We have really, really good musicians and, and our worship is the best. No, it's come to Jesus in these days where churches can't meet in buildings. It's not come to a building. It's come to Jesus. He's alive. He's still saying, come to me. There's been some prophetic words about this being a time of resetting. Resetting what is actually valuable, what's important. Resetting the, uh, how the church functions. Resetting what the importance is. It's not our gathering together as wonderful as that is. It's a resetting. God doing something. Resetting families. There's been a lot of things about the, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. Before Jesus came, the prophetic word in Malachi was that the hearts of the fathers would be turned to the children and the children to the parents. And that's happening again. Is this the preview to the second coming? Or God's doing something of restoring, of resetting the values. The early church met in homes. It was individual people who'd met Jesus, not who got caught up in some sort of organization. It's a time for resetting. But let me ask you, is it a time for resetting your life? It can be. He's still alive. And everything he was doing, he's still doing. Amen. Amen. I want to just pray God's blessing. Lord, I pray your blessing on your people, that God, you would bless, you turn your face toward us, that we experience your presence and your peace that comes from relationship with you. We celebrate today again, as we do every day, Jesus is alive. Amen.